Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. How you doing, buddy? Buddy, Thursday night football all around. Playoff yeah. baseball all around. <laughs> Command center engaged. Engaged, gin and tonic engaged. Seeing my uh, wide receiver have a fantasy four-hour receiver have a solid first half in Allen Robinson, about five and a half points. Can anybody play in tonight? I've got uh, Rowan Smith, so okay, he, he's what? doing well so far. He's got like four points, so right. for a defensive uh, player, that's that's a solid first half. If, if I if I can get eight for my defensive player, I'm happy. I always go some type of inside linebacker just because tackle volume is usually consistent. I'm not trying to get like 20 points from that position because it's so anybody that's getting 20 points is probably also, you know, having very up and down games is going to give you a goose egg every now and then. So I I go with the guys that are going to consistently give me seven to 10 points. And if, you know, if they get a pick or they get a, uh, you know, fumble return or something like that for a touchdown, all the better. Yeah, folks, w- w- what Brian's discussing is something we, we, we plan in a league together. This is year eight, Brian. With yes. The league. And about third, fourth year in, me and Brian decided to we, – we've got to do some different stuff. We've got to make this league fun. So we had this genius idea, individual defensive players. <laughs> some people hate it. Some people love it. But it, it, you have to actually know more about football and do more studying because, to Brian's point, usually linebackers are the guys you want. They're more the steady eddies. Now, you can go get a defensive end. Like, I think Nick, somebody had Nick Bosa last year. I played him quite a few times. Or I played him one time, and it was like the game he had three sacks, six tackles, two tackles for losses. So his numbers were like 16 and a half. <laughs> and it's just like – that's that's not fair. Yeah. But then, you know, there's going to be those games where you get zero sacks, four tackles, and maybe one tackle for loss. And yeah, it's like five points. So, Absolutely. so it's, it's, it's one of those interesting pieces because every year it's like, where do you take this guy? And if there's somebody out there in a certain round that, you know, tackles 175, has 175 tackles a game or year, you're like, I need that guy. It's like, it's like having Rook. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I think Rook last year, if if you like like do everything that he did, he would have averaged like ten points a game, maybe eleven points a game. Yeah, ten points a game in probably the couple games where he had you know some sacks or some uh, forced fumbles or anything like that, he would have you know been around the fifteen to twenty point range on a good on a good game. So absolutely. All right, well, we're gonna get into it, but before we get into know the enemy, real quick, hokey headline. Um, Wide receiver out of Tennessee, Trey Curry, who committed back in July, decommits with a weird midnight post of my uh, my I'm officially open for recruiting. Yeah. Like midnight. is 100% open to all teams. Yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. Um, I can remember when he first committed, it was like an initial, like, kind of a shock. You know, we – you saw him on the offered list, but you never thought much of him, and it was kind of cool. This is good. Yeah, big-bodied receiver. Kind of really awkward that he decommits after the first two games where we're literally throwing things that he could do his first day on campus. Um, 
What any any takes on this, Brian, or just you know it is what it is during the season. Uh, we weren't sitting two and zero. I'd feel a whole lot worse about this, but uh, I think with everything that we've been dealing with um, the last few weeks, with guys being potentially out for games and things like that, this is like not even denting the radar. Um, <laughs> and it, it was a guy that probably of all the ones on our commit list, we probably felt the least secure about. Oh yeah. Um, despite even some of the the word coming down that you know he wasn't you know listening to other teams and things like that, you know there was a situation with what was going on with him leaving his old high school and going to this new high school, and there there was just a whole lot of uncertainty already around the commitment. So I, you know if if one was going to decommit, it was probably going to be Curry. So it's happened. We'll address it and go from there, man. On to Chapel Hill. Let's do it. Let's go. All right, so let's start with the breakdown here. We're going to start on the offensive side of the ball like we do most weeks. And I want to kind of dive into, Brian, what I think we, me and you feel is what they're going to have to do to win. I think they're going to have to pass the ball to win with Sam Howe, hell of a young quarterback. Um, so I just went around. I know you looked at some tapes. I've deep dived some stats. So I want to take a look at some stats first. Then we're going to look into some of your findings. And this is kind of what I'm finding out. All right, so, so far through the first two games, they're ranking 24 in path efficiency at 144.30. So, you know, top third, not yeah. elite elite, but top third, so respectable. Averaging 260 yards a game. So, again, solid number. Um, Howell's pass per attempts is slightly up. was 8.6 last year. It's 8.7 this year. So, small tenth of a point. Now, where he's really – you know, going to the next level is completion percentage. Uh, last year for the total year, 61.4. So far this year, 65%. So, you know, you're looking at a four, you know, look right at a 4% increase, which, you know, people don't say, well, that's not that much. But over time, you know, yeah. that's one or two passes a game. And when you're hitting one or two extra passes a game, potentially that's, that's probably two to three extra first downs a game. Exactly, and and that's one of those things where you kind of think last year, a couple extra passes made in that six-overtime thriller, it might have went their way, not our way. Now, something that does show some regression. So last year, he was one of the best in the nation. His touchdown-to-interception ratio was 5.4 to 1. That's damn good. I would take that for our quarterbacks in a heartbeat. This year so far, though, through two games, small sample size, three touchdowns, three interceptions, and he's pretty much halfway to where he was with his interception total last year. Um, now, sort of looking at the two teams they've played so far, their past defense rankings, um, they're not bad, but they're not great. Syracuse is ranked 30th. BC is ranked 25th. This is out of roughly 72 teams who have played a game. Not counting you, Houston. You finally got on the field. Good for you tonight. (laughs) As you started going through the tape of this year, just a couple games we have, what are we seeing about Sam Howell this year? Um, I mean, he's about what we saw last year. I I think he's a little more poised, a little more accurate with the ball this year. But he has taken those couple extra um, chances with it. Like as you've noticed there, we've got uh, only three to three in terms of 
touchdown interception. But I mean, he's he's really good in the pocket, but he's also a guy that's going to move the pocket by sometimes with his legs. Um, he'll scamper for a first down here or there, but what he's really looking to do when he gets out outside the pocket, he's looking to find receivers that are you know breaking open on scramble drill and you know getting some separation from the their defenders once a route kind of breaks down there. So that's what he likes to do with that. He's gotten some really big plays once he got outside the pocket, resetting his feet and throwing downfield. Two plays in particular. One was a touchdown um, toss to Javante Williams. Um, got outside the pocket right at the line of scrimmage, sets his feet, delivers a strike as, as Williams kind of breaks free from his man for a touchdown. Okay. Had a similar one. Um, didn't go for a touchdown, but went for a big game to Bo Corrales. So, I mean, he likes to do that type of stuff. And speaking of those running backs in the, uh, in the scramble drill, both Carter and Williams, Michael Carter and Javante Williams are going to be pretty dangerous mm. in the passing game. Um, they're both guys that can hurt you. Uh, Javante Williams is the guy that they're going to design, um, kind of more of the route tree type things for, to get him involved with passing down the field. But Michael Carter is a guy that's going to get a lot of the check downs, but he's a guy that can break some tackles, make you miss, and then make a big play out of it. So what have you, uh, what have you seen in the stats from those guys? What you're seeing on tape is, is absolutely telling in the statistics because, um, you talk about Williams, more designed, more getting out on the route tree, more big play potential. He's only got three receptions, but he's averaging 26 yards per reception. You know, that's that's big. That's a big play. That is one of those game breakers where you're sitting at the 30. Something like that happened. The field's flipped in a heartbeat. But to your point with Carter, Carter is second on the team in receptions. He's got seven. So you talk about the check down. Clearly, Hal feels comfortable throwing to him out of the backfield. Not as many yards. You know, not as many explosive plays, but sometimes when your guy can get to that portion of his reads, you're not taking losses. So it's good. Now, something I've noticed here, Brian, I think you're probably going to hit a little up in your next segment. They have allowed six sacks in two games. Um, That is the bottom half. You know, so of the 72 teams, it's on the bottom half of allowed so far. And it's 47 yards loss on those sacks. So what that's telling me, at least the way I can kind of read it, it's about eight yards. Essentially, that looks like potential coverage sacks. Probably not many scrambling if you're averaging eight. My assumption would be if he's running backwards, there's going to be some bigger numbers in there, not shorter numbers, um, which makes me feel good that if we can kind of create a good look on the back end, our front four, we can get to Sam. Now, Something that's been a little shocking, and when I read this, I kind of had to reread it again for the second time. So last year, PFF graded Sam Howe as the best passer over 20 yards, air yards, with a clean pocket. The best. Okay. So far this year, not great, Bob. No completions over 20 yards in two games. 0 for 10. So we see sacks, correlation to sacks, eight yards. That's probably about the five to seven step drop, you know, out of center, out of shotgun. Similar, right? Yeah. But listen to this. And and I don't know if it's just him getting smarter as a passer or them unable to take less risks. 
The air yards per attempt, last year they were 9.7, damn near 10 yards per attempt through the air. This year that's down to 7.4, so two and a half yards lost. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, as you're looking at stuff, Brian, if you're seeing it, but, you know, we're going to hit the receivers here in a second. Maybe maybe you've seen some stuff there. Now, the one thing they are, they're good in the red zone, seven for seven, five touchdowns, two field goals, four rushing touchdowns, only one passing touchdown. So, Brian, I give you those numbers, especially let's talk. Let's let's look at really those downfield numbers and let's talk about those weapons and are some things change potentially there. So a couple of things have happened. And as you notice, there there's not a lot of uh, down the field attacking um, with the, with the pass game this year. And one thing I'm noticing is that we've kind of neutralized Daz Newsom a lot in this, um, this new season, man. Um, I think he has what three He's, receptions. Uh, three for 31. And he yeah. was a foul last year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very, very slow start for him. Um, he hasn't been able to kind of take the top off the defense like he was able to do last year. It looks like a lot of teams are kind of playing cover three um, variations, just trying to make sure that there's not a lot of space for those guys to run some of those deep routes. Um, now, Dayami Brown has been able to take advantage of that underneath <laughs> the uh, cover three shell. He's done a lot of good things in the passing game. He's been able to get – kind of behind the linebackers and make some noise. Um, when he was in man coverage a couple of times, I saw him um, kind of get free of his man, get down the field a little bit. But as you were saying, they're not able to hit some of those downfield things. And I think that that could come with time, but uh, it seems like the teams have adjusted to what UNC was doing with that downfield game last year and have taken some of that away this year, which is uh, something we're going to need to do in this game if we're going to have some success. You know, I, I like what Brown has been able to do. I saw even – I know we're running more zone coverage this year. I saw him running kind of through zones and making some plays there with guys that are – you know, not moving at full speed um, in in the zone there. So he he's going to be a guy that we're going to have to tackle once he gets the ball in his hands. But uh, going back to Howell, man, we, we talked about, you know, what he does in the pocket and how he had some of those um, sacks. It seems like a coverage sacks. He sometimes tries to do too much. Mm. He's got a little bit of that. Uh, you know, he's not built like Ben Roethlisberger, but he kind of has that mentality where he's going to stand in the pocket as long as he can to try to make a play. And sometimes that, that comes back to bite him. Um, he, if, if he doesn't recognize that something's there and he can't get out of the pocket, he's not somebody that's going to throw it away, you know, safely to, to avoid taking the, uh, the loss. He's going to either take the sack or chuck it in the direction of a guy that can make a play. And you know, a couple of times that's caused a sack and a couple other times that's caused him to throw an interception. Um, so what we're going to need to do is get pressure on him. Make him throw it before he's ready, and you know, make make him try to take some of those extra risks with the football. Make him uncomfortable, but we also need to keep him in the damn pocket because he is he's been dangerous when he's gotten outside the pocket, can set his feet, and kind of throw when that scramble drill starts. The third guy in their in their passing game to watch though, and this is a guy that's been hit a couple times, and I know I mentioned him earlier, is Bo Corrales. He's a, he's kind of their big body guy, six three, two oh five. Um, guy that you'll, you kind of run in the slot, set up the seam, that type of guy. They haven't hit him any anything deep yet, but uh, he's definitely a guy that can kind of work between the linebackers and make some plays and move the sticks for you. 
Let's talk real quick about their offensive line before we pivot uh, in terms of pass pro before we pivot into the run game, man. Offensive line is average in pass pro. Not great, not bad. Um, like I said, because of the, the way that Howell will hold on to the football in the pocket, you're going to occasionally get a few sacks against them. They're a little susceptible when you bring pressure. So I think, I think you're going to see some of those possible delay blitzes that we saw in, uh, in the game against NC state coming. So okay. look for that. And, um, buddy, tell me some about their, uh, their rush game. What, what do the stats look like? Well, the stats look like. They're a balanced offense. Um, 168 yards a game. They, you know, with one two points we've already mentioned, Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Um, Williams is averaging 4.6 to carry. Um, Carter 8.7. So definitely a big play potential with Michael Carter. I can remember one of those big runs against Syracuse. Williams has all the TDs. Now, before you jump into that, though, I need you to just just two things I want you to know about. Okay. First, Corrales is picking up Daz's slack. He's tied with Carter, seven receptions, 82 yards. And Dayami, although his stat line looks good, Brian, at 154, 10 receptions, his reception number is down from 20.3. Goes back again. We're correlating it. They're having to drive the field. Now, as far as that rushing game goes, Brian, you know, Williams Carter got a good one-two punch. And what are you seeing, though? You know, we're, we're seeing they can't go downfield, so obviously you can't go downfield. you got to depend a little bit more on the run. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at another, um, you know, so it's a spread zone run scheme. Um, we've seen it really kind of out the gate with NC State, a little less so last week with Duke, but they're still kind of the same philosophy. So, um, you know, look for a, a more balanced team than, than Duke and NC State were. I know – we're looking at kind of different angles there where Duke was, you know, throwing the ball more, whereas NC state was trying to run the ball a lot more, um, especially early on before we kind of got that big lead on them. So this is a balanced team. They're going to be running and they can, and and passing the ball and they can do both with pretty good efficiency. Um, And what Carter does so well is break tackles. Um, I've seen it on the film a lot, man. He gets the ball in space he's going to probably make the first guy miss. Um, so we got to be able to flow to the ball and we've got to be able to make tackles. Um, he is also very dangerous when he gets to the second level. So again, we, we, we can't let one broken tackle turn into a 25 yard gain. We got to make sure that we're flowing to the football and making that stop. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a little kudos to the offensive line. They're, they're a pretty good offensive line in terms of run blocking, good on the combo blocks. Um, and they do a good job of, you know, leading and kicking uh, with their H-backs in motion. So you'll see an H-back go in motion and either kick out the guy or lead up for, for an outside zone or something like that. So um, they do a good job there, man. And, uh, you know, when we look at what we need to do to kind of exploit and exploit this defense and, and this offense, sorry, and not, not let them, you know, rack up the points, I think the big thing we need to do is – play the next play. Um, every time I saw them film, they got a chunk play, but then they would make a mistake or they would have a negative play or, you know, something would happen. So we need to just keep playing the next play, not let one play result in a touchdown, um, you know, but you know, three plays earlier. So um, that's what I think we need to do. And 
I really to to have success, I want to see how kept in the pocket as much as possible. Well, yeah, Brian, you mentioned about the, the, the pop plays, and I've given the stats of what they're doing in the red zone. But, I mean, against Boston College and Syracuse, 31-26. So they're averaging under 30 points a game against, I think, what we're considering probably one of the worst teams in the ACC. And BC, you know, BC maybe middle part of the pack. Yeah. Changing and all of that. Um, the one thing that they've kind of done good, and, and I feel like you just mentioned it with the H-back, and I don't know if that's Walton. They don't use the tight end. He's got two receptions all year. So clearly the way you mentioned H-backs, it sounds like they're blocking. They're not going to be any sort of threat in the pass game. Um, but they actually are pretty good on third down. They're ranked 21st. They're converting 48% of their third down. To me, you talk about they're getting the big plays and then they can't quite – capitalize and keep the momentum going they can't but they're still driving the field they're having to grind yeah like sometimes last year you watch a couple of their games it was like three four plays touchdown and they kind of hit you so they're doing it differently this year um and the question is can they keep that up can they keep that up as they start and i'll go ahead and say it taking a step up in competition yeah and I think we I think we find an answer this weekend on that. All right, Brian, let's jump to the defense, and I'm going to just say it straight up. I cannot sugarcoat this as I take my glasses off and hold them. I can't sugarcoat it. As of this very moment, North Carolina leads the nation in rushing. They're what? They, yeah. They are giving up 54 yards per game at about two yards per rush. So that's pretty – that's craziness. Um, no touchdowns, averaging eight and a half tackles for loss, which is good for 16th, about four and a half, um, for the loss of those tackles, you know, and so it's a solid amount, I, you know, I comparatively against Virginia Tech, we're, we're about six per game at about 4.8. So sounds like what they're doing is able to penetrate the run. Now, Brian, as you start looking on tape and you start breaking down this defense, what's making them why, – why so much success so far, you feel, um, especially against the run? So the, the thing they do really well is they flow well to the football, um, whether it's in the passing game or in the running game. They get to the football. Um, they generally make good tackles. Um, so they're they're pretty sound on that, that part. They uh, – their base defense is a two four five, which we don't see very often. So we're talking about two two down interior guys, um, two kind of hybrid edge. I mean, they're kind of kind of defensive ends, kind of edge rushers. They're they're very similar to what you would see in an outside linebacker in a three four defense. Okay. Um, then you've got two inside backers, and then you've got the uh, kind of a nickel set in the secondary there, two corners. Two safeties and then you got a nickel. So they use the nickel and the uh, the strong safety in a lot of different ways. Uh, a lot of times they'll bring that guy right up on the line of scrimmage, okay. uh, almost as like an extra outside linebacker. Um, you call it a hybrid bear. I don't really like that. I mean, it, it's it's still a two four five. They just got a guy walked up. Um, 
you know, there's there's been a lot of buzz out there on the you know the hybrid bear they were running against BC. It's not really that. Um, but they what they do uh, do well is though they mix up their blitzes and disguise their coverages well in that because they've got really only two guys that are guaranteed to be going after the uh, the passer on a passing down. So um, they do a good job of mixing in zone blitzes, um, disguising coverages, going with man sometimes across the board. Um, they even gave a look with uh, with Hunter Long from BC where they would occasionally have man responsibilities on him because he was kind of the go-to guy, and then they would be zone everywhere else. So they, they like to mix up their coverages um, pretty well. But, I mean, if I'm being honest, I like their rush defense, but I don't like them as best rush defense in the land. Well, I'm glad you said that because <laughs> – as I was writing my notes out, I, I, I made that because as I was looking at the statistics, I'm looking at it and I write that. I'm like, that's really good. All right. So when you when we see things like that, it's immediately I've got to go to the, their opponents in their games. All right. I'm going to start with Syracuse, Brian. Let's let's cool. look. Deep. Let's look deep at these two teams they played. All right. So Syracuse ran the ball 35 times against North Carolina for only 68 yards. Now, 15 of those rushes were by Tommy DeVito. The quarterback. So right there kind of tells you the running backs. And I know DeVito can scramble. We've seen him. But it's he's not Braxton. He's not some of these other running quarterbacks where you fear for your life if they get the ball in their hands. So then I say, well, let's go to Pitt. Pitt's another very good run defense. They ran the ball 34 times against Pitt for only 51 yards. So one less time, 17 left yards. DeVito ran it once again 14 times. Then they finally had their breakout game run. <laughs> Georgia Tech, the game that you prevented you from going undefeated a few weeks ago in the Pick'em Bowl. They ran the ball 41 times. This week, Tommy DeVito only ran the ball four times. Now, see your notes here. They finally broke 100 yards, 163. I do think less of a focus on the quarterback running the ball was probably a big help. But even with that game, Brian, you know, less than four yards per carry for that. So they were 3.97. That's not good. We we know our standard here. Let's look at BC real quick before you jump back in here, because I know you, you've probably got some things you'd like to talk about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. BC ran the ball 19 times for 20 yards. That's less than two a carry. BC ran the ball 41 times against Duke at 84 yards. That's also less right at two yards a carry. And then they ran the ball 27 times against Texas State for 87 yards. So their best effort all year against the juggernauts of Duke and Texas State has been for 3.2 yards. So, Brian, to me, okay, what you just said perfectly sums it up. They're good rush defense. They're not number one in the land. I just think they've gotten lucky and faced just two absolutely wretched running offenses. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think their ranking is indicative of two bad rushing offenses and not being the best in the land. Now, they do some good things to kind of confuse the offensive line with the with their alignments and the way they bring the safety and the nickel kind of into the box to play the run. But – 
as you said, you know, opponents like BC haven't rushed for 100 yards in a single game, and Syracuse only just. So even with these guys playing other teams, they're not doing well. You know, UNC being the the better version of Duke is not necessarily something I would, you know, beat my chest about after we put up 300 yards against them. i tell you what actually scares me more is kind of the way they blitz, especially with Surratt going on some of those A-back blitzes or kind of they move him all around the formation, uh, really. But they'll uh, they'll throw him in the A-gap, and he can, he can kind of bring the ruckus a little bit. So um, they do de- delay blitzes and pretty much always bring pressure on third down, even if they end up kind of dropping some of the other guys in kind of a zone blitz type uh, type move there. And they, they bring pressure from all levels of the defense. So I've seen linebackers coming. I've seen safeties. I've seen the nickel. I've seen even the corners. So they'll they'll bring guys from everywhere and drop guys. Pretty much they'll drop anybody except for those, those two down linemen. So it's interesting to watch. But uh, on the back end, you know, they run a lot of mix of zone and man. Um and then, like I said, their front gives them ability to, to zone blitz a lot. So they can really mix up how they, they run their coverages. Um, as I said earlier, they were running some guys even on the inside, specifically spotting a man head up where, and then ran zone across the board everywhere else. So they'll mix things up on us. And uh, short yardage, they didn't, you know, I would think in a short yardage scenario, if they can sub, they might, you know, bring on a nose and, and run the nickel off. But they didn't do that. What they ended up doing is sliding one of those, uh, the guy that was playing the one technique interior out to a three technique and then putting both of those inside linebackers in the A-gap. Really? And then they would roll the strong safety into the box. I'm like like picturing (laughs) that. Like, wouldn't essentially, if you were in like an inside zone type play and your tackles neutralize the two tackles on the outside, you're talking about, our nasty interior getting up into 225 pound linemen or linebackers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you're talking about, buddy. Um, (laughs) They're essentially hoping that they're going to get enough penetration at the snap where it's going to disrupt things and, and kind of funnel everything outside and let the safety and the nickel kind of clean things up. Um, It it works sometimes and sometimes it didn't work. Okay. Um, but that, but that's what they like to go through in short yardage. They did it consistently against BC in like third and one and fourth and one, sometimes third and two situations. Um, so that, that'll be something to watch out for. And, um, so they would, like I said, they would align the, uh, the down guys into three techniques and then they would either run a five, um, with the outside edge rusher. They would, they would line up in a five technique. And if it was to the tight end side, it would be a six technique. So it'd be head up on the tight end. Gotcha, man. Well, that's interesting things we have to look for if they do some of those things, moving those interior linemen further out and stuff like that. Um, I want to wrap a couple before we jump on to our next segment here. I want to wrap just a couple more stats with you, Brian, just so I want you, again, to get your feel. Tell me what you think of these. All right. And, and a couple of my own personal thoughts. First of all, <laughs> third down, they're actually a pretty good at third down, 36.1%. Uh, good for number 23 so far in the season. Now, third down conversions. Um, guess who's the worst team in the country at third down conversions? Who you got? Syracuse. Ah. So 
that that definitely bumps that stat when you played the worst team in the country. BC slightly worse than average at 42. So again, overall, it's one of those things we look at it. You look at 23 and say that's good. You look at where their opponents are converting. It's like okay, well they've helped you. Um, the other thing is this is the one that I think if you tell me we wind up with a plus number in this category, I feel good. Their turnover margin is minus three. They have only had one interception off year. We've already mentioned how through three interceptions, they also had a fumble. So they're, they've won two games not winning the turnover battle. We know how that goes last week when you are the better of two teams. Clearly, North Carolina, more talent across the board than Syracuse or BC, and it happened. Yep. But I'm, I'm going to go back to something I said a couple weeks ago on this podcast. I watched a ton of that Syracuse game. That game was sloppy. It was ugly. Only reason they won that game is because they wore Syracuse down for the win. A couple times they bent but didn't break inside the red zone where they had to kick field goals versus Syracuse punching it in, and then Syracuse goes for it on a fourth down one time. You see Syracuse out there and the numbers they're putting up, that shouldn't have been like that. That should have been similar to what we did to NC State. You put your foot on them, you smash them, you make them think about it the entire time in the locker room. They didn't do that. In the BC game, well, BC the week before had a walk-off at Texas State with a field goal. Damn near lost that one. But yep. last week against UNC, under a minute left, or right at a minute left, they have a chance to potentially tie the game with a two-point conversion. Now they turn the ball over. That does not count as one of Carolina's, you know, turnovers game because it's an untimed down, as Brian educated me on about five, ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> but they were that close to losing to BC, who we know, yep, they beat by 20 with a plus five turnover. They hung on against Texas State. So when I sit here and look at it, it's like I feel like the number eight team in the country – as numerous pundits have said, who they don't feel like the number eight team in the country. No, they definitely don't feel like the number eight team in the country. Um, as you pointed out, they've, they've got some some deficiencies that they're working through. I think they really have not been able to do a good job with overcoming some of the mistakes that they're making. So, you know, they'll they'll have a couple good plays. Make a miss, may have a negative play, and all of a sudden they're punting, or you know have a have a turnover, or you know wh- whatever it may be. Um, they're letting those negative plays really negatively impact the amount of points they can put up on a team. Um, and on defense, you know they're not forcing the issue with turnovers, as you said. And until they start doing those two things, I think they're going to struggle. And I think we got some really really good chances to take advantage of that um, on Saturday, man. Absolutely, man. All right, Brian, well, let's jump into it real quick here because obviously we've now laid everybody the format of what Carolina looks like, your analysis, the statistics. And let's go through the three pivotal players on each side of the ball for the Hokies. Um, and, Brian, when, when we got together a little earlier this week and was discussing this one, I, me and you did not flinch. Who's the most important group this week for the Hokies? Quarterback. It's 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 not a question. Um, 
regardless who starts, whether it be Braxton Burmeister or, as Coach Fuente said on Tech Talk Live on Tuesday, Hendon is full go. Because this is my opinion, we need balance. I, yeah. I, I think Carolina has enough talent. Yep, I think their rushing numbers are overinflated, but I don't think we're going to hit 300 against them. No, I, th- I don't think we're going to hit 300 against them, and I think what they're going to do is kind of keep some of those loaded boxes with those strong safeties and nickels walked into the box at the edge, um, kind of pressing things inside and essentially forcing us to run between the tackles and throw the ball to get first downs. Um, so I, th- I think that's what they're going to try to do, and we're going to need a quarterback that can make some of those intermediate throws, and that's not what we've been seeing in the first two games. We've seen mostly – down the field success and a little bit in the short passing game with, with some of the screens, but we haven't seen a whole lot of intermediate game. And until that picks up, until we put some pressure on those guys, you know, between the 10 and 20 yard down the field range, I think, you know, we might have a long day if we can't do that. So hopefully, um, you know, my hope is that Hendon Hooker is ready to go, ready to play. He's the man because I feel a whole lot more comfortable with, the intermediate passing game with him pulling the trigger. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I put it on here because I do feel that Hendon, if he's in, he's going to be able to carve them. If they come six, seven on the line, loading the box, take away the run, you're looking at some short passes and stuff like that to really open it up. Now, Brian, I kind of gave this one away earlier, but I, but we still got to talk about it. If you want to put two undersized linebackers on the A gaps against Letica Smith, Brock Hoffman, and either Doug Nestor or Brian Hudson, you go right ahead. We've discussed it, Brian. We feel the interior part of our offensive line is very important in this game. And yeah, how- if we if we can move that pot, the, that uh, interior line and kind of open some of that cr- the creases there for the inside zone, I think we're gonna have a lot of success. Um, the way they kind of move around Surratt. Um, and the way they kind of mix up their line um, calls, I think they're going to try to try to press the middle and then and then funnel it outside. But if if we can get some a crease in the middle there and can consistently get four to five yards on those uh, inside zone carries, even if we're not busting the big one like we have the last few games, you know I like our chances and I like some of the the things we've been doing. Um, with the with the zone calls, the outside zone in particular, we've ran it a lot to the weak side, but I could see us running it to the strong side a lot more in this game just because of the alignments that they have because they tend to put that extra band towards the weak side. So if we run strong, we might have some, uh, some numbers there. So if we're going to go outside zone, that's probably what we would end up doing. Let me ask this too, Brian. How, how good does it make you feel as a Virginia Tech fan knowing Brock's the center? And feeling he he's a you can see from how he plays a he plays with the nasty streak yeah but he's also a very heady player multiple year starter essentially he got all last year just to study tape on people to make the calls especially when they're moving this line up and down yeah that definitely makes me feel good I mean he's going to be the guy making the primary calls he'll be listening for the checks and then adjusting to those um, you know whatever alerts he's getting from the tackles or the guards. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of adjustments he makes as they kind of change things up and bring different levels of pressure and different different alignments of that defense. So I think we have an opportunity to take some advantage there, especially as the game wears on, like we've seen 
um, you know, both against NC State and against uh, against Duke late, just putting them away. All right. Third pivotal player for the Hokies we feel this week, and Brian's kind of already highlighted it with some of the stuff Carolina does, bringing guys up, and you said it a few minutes ago when we discussed the quarterback intermediate routes, Trey Turner. Yep. Um, me and you kind of put it out there. If Trey can get five to seven touches on this game the way they play, Trey can have a big day. Um, yeah. What should be some of the routes we look for that if we're if we're popping early to Trey, it's going to be a long day for them? Um, I think you might see like a couple like quick kind of double moves um, to get him a little bit of space behind the uh, the corners, um, hit him like 15 yards downfield on those. Um, you're probably going to see some slants, maybe a dig. Um, but I think we're going to need, really need to take advantage of those spots on the field because with them bringing the zone blitzes, it's going to take them a while to sometimes get to where they need to be in the zone. So if we can kind of get one of those blitz beater routes in there, um, you know, we'll have a little bit of space to do some damage. Absolutely, Brian. Absolutely. And, you know, we kind of sit here and Trey, you know, he's had a couple good games. I think what, like 60 and 50 hasn't had as many touches as, you know, we we've seen, but, you know, we kind of go up and we start looking and I kind of go back to last year's game, Brian. And, you know, we sit here, you know, the 41, 43 game and, you know, Trey Turner that day, had five receptions for 106 yards and one carry at seven. If he has that kind of day again, I think you talk about the blitz beaters, the double moves. He's gotten behind that zone. I also think if that happens, Hendon's probably playing. I don't have the breakdown of this game, but if you can remember, Hendon was there almost to the end of the first half, and then Ron Willis came in, then Quincy came in. So, but – it kind of shows you he can do it against this defense. Yeah, right. he had that one big touchdown. Um, Sideline. The, 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 uh, it was the fake little tunnel. They fake yep. tunnel. He kind of sold the block and then released right up. And, like, they just they just looked down at Tavion. And, and like, Hendon just on the money. Trey never stopped running. Like, touchdown. It's like, oh, we have to remember to defend people here. Yeah, and while we're there, let's talk about um, – if Hendon's a go, um, I think from a play calling standpoint, we've definitely held a lot back. Oh yes, in the first two games. Yeah. I mean, you talked about, um, especially in the passing game. I think we've held a lot back in the passing game. Um, I think we've gotten maybe as creative as we're going to get in the running game, but I think there's a lot in the passing game that we haven't shown yet this year, and I think you're going to probably see some of that get broken out this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on one piece of that. I don't think we've gotten as creative we can with the running game because without that passing threat, because without the, this is my opinion. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Without the passing threat, essentially those guys can come right downhill. You, you played that position. And when you're doing some creative things running, if you can hold that linebacker for a 10th, six yards off the line versus three yards off the line, and it's a run play, somebody like you as an interior guard knows He's way off the line. I'm going to get momentum, and I'm going to put him on his ass. Versus when he's close, I just need to get him engaged. I'll, I'll say this. The, the reason I said I think we've gotten creative in the running game is that at no point last year did I see us in um, 21 personnel run a 
fake outside zone quarterback counter for a touchdown. Touche. Okay. Well, Brian, let's flip it to the other side of the ball. Um, You know, obviously we talked a ton about the passing attack of North Carolina. Um, And let's just be straight up. The Divine Diablo, is he back? Is he not playing? Because I think he's our num- he's definitely our number one. Yeah, if, if Diablo's back, I feel a whole lot better. I don't feel bad if he's not, but I feel a whole lot better if he is. Um, I think we'll be fine without him. I think we'll feast if he's in the game. Because um, I, I, I just love – he just has a nose for the football, man. Even if he's not making the interception or – getting the fumble. I mean, he's a guy that just always finds a way to be around the play in the secondary. So um, I, I really hope that he's in because I think he'll make a lot of plays for us. Absolutely. And plus his leadership back there, getting guys aligned, getting guys in the right position. It's big. It was done very well last week by the makeshift group we had in the back end. But I think having him back there will be big. Now, if he's not back there, tell me who's on the outside. Um, what will scare me? is if the same names are on that damn list, that'll, well, right before I go to a baseball game, <laughs> on that list again against North Carolina, it will be a little pit in my stomach because we need some of the secondary, the upper echelon secondary guys back. Yeah, I'd like to at least see, um, hopefully Waller is, is, is kind of feeling better and he can play, and I hope that, uh, you know, we got we got Chapman back this week. If we can get at least those two guys back on the field this week, I would feel a whole lot better about the secondary. Like I said, I think Devon Diablo is going to be the key, but without those other two pieces, especially without Devon back there, that would make it a, a, a really big, big tall order for us to hold that those uh, offensive weapons in check. Absolutely. Now, Brian, you stood on the table with these three guys when we um, when we talked a couple of days ago as we were putting this together. But why do you feel our interior defensive linemen, especially Hewitt, Deshaun Crawford, who looks like he is coming back, and Pollard, those three you named, why do you feel against this offense they are so critical? Because I think you want to put pressure in the face of Sam Howell consistently. Okay. So if we're getting a good press on those passing downs – able to make him, you know, get antsy feet back there or make a throw when he's not ready or potentially, you know, just be a stone back there and stand there while he's facing the rush and then throw it kind of at the last second and make a mistake. So those guys are going to be big, Um, you know, Crawford, Pollard, Hewitt. I mean, we're going to need big games from them. Um, Big game, you know, if if we get Fuga in there, I want to see him, you know, pressing that pocket, making some plays. Um, but they also got to be able to tackle, man, because Carter will, will, like I said, make a guy miss, get to the second level, and he can be dangerous. So when we get our hands on the running back, they definitely need to make those plays. Absolutely. Um, you know, and we've mentioned the outside guys, but I think to your point, Brian, we saw last week with, and probably why we didn't put Justice or Belmar on here this week, they know they're there. They know they're there. They're going to be sending things to those guys. Now, can they probably beat double? Yes. But I think it's I think now I understand why you put those guys because if they're getting the extra pressure, then essentially it's like if we're getting pressure up the gut, it's even worse because he has no pocket to step into. And you talk about him being able to make resetting his feet, making good throws. As we see and we're watching Tom Brady here, you know. 
one of the all-time greats. Um, don't throw things at me. Don't drive over here and beat my butt up tonight, man. <laughs> Tom Brady has hated over his entire career. You get the interior pressure. He just becomes a shell of a quarterback. Yeah. He's still a good quarterback, but he is no longer a great quarterback. Absolutely. All right. Now, the last guy is the one that I, I stood on the table for, and let's hope he's back this week. But I think Alan Tisdale, um, with that range and the way he covers, taking out flats, we mentioned Michael Carter checkdowns. Alan Tisdale can take that away. Yep. That's that's going to be his primary role in the passing game is taking away those running backs, whether it's um, Williams or whether it's Carter. Um, he's going to be probably responsible for handling those guys in coverage, um, and he's going to be responsible for making some plays that get kind of washed outside in the running game. So if, if we get Carter outside, he needs to come up, make that tackle, man, because, again, I'm going to stress it over and over. Tackling is going to be the key to holding this team similar to what BC did and what Syracuse did. And I think that if we can keep them under that 30 point range or right in that ballpark, I think we're going to be looking pretty good. All right. Hey, well, Brian, they released it today. Let's, let's get our quick opinions. What do you think of the white, white, orange unis? You know what people say, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, orange is bad. We haven't played well in orange, whatever. I know Virginia Tech is a lot like Michael Scott. They're not superstitious, but they are a little stitious. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not so much. Um, I like the orange. I think it's a good look. I like it better with the white than I did with the maroon. Yes, very sleek with the white. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm cool with the combo. I'll let the peanut gallery complain on their own. I also think the helmet. I think the very traditional uh, white helmet helps out, not trying to – Flash it out, just a white stripe, your, your traditional VT, the VT squared logo there. Um, I think that helps it. it but it is, a, it is a very flashy, very sleek look. So kudos to that team. Brian, who got the 25? Juice. I am shocked. Shocked. No. Not only what he did on the special teams, but just all over the field last, last week. So, you know. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in 25 because he's shown that he can do a damn good job in 21. You're absolutely right. And, you know, after the way he looked last week, and it's clearly one of those things where he's not going to be back there every time to get kick returns, but he knows when he gets out there he, he's got a job. And he two times last week absolutely flipped the field, started drives off super hot. So congrats, Juice, on the 25. All right, well, we come, Brian. It's time for a prediction. Uh, I'll lead. I made you lead last week. So okay, gonna... go for it, buddy. What all you right. got? Well, first of all, I texted you earlier this week. I don't know if you remember it, a couple, couple days ago, and I just said I'm not feeling good about this game. First of all, it was when I just did the initial looking at the rushing stuff from um, – from North Carolina side and knowing that they have a good offense and knowing they've been a little bit rusty. So I was kind of, kind of, you know, thinking, and if, if, if QB one's not back and this is going to be tough, we're going to have to play really good, really fundamental football, no turnovers. We cannot have three turnovers, but then I dug deeper and you find out some things. And I think, if 
either quarterback plays, I think we can win this game. I think quarterback one plays. I think Hendon plays this week. I think getting him back in shape last week, he probably was the third emergency quarterback, probably did not get as many reps. But just looking at this Carolina team, the paper tiger gets crushed this week of all these wonderful numbers. Okay. 28. Um, Hokies. Okay. So 38-28. 38-28 Hokies. What do you feel? I, I like it. I'm right in the same ballpark, actually. Okay. I'm going to go. I think QB1 plays. Um, I think we do good enough on defense, and I think our offense returns to a balanced nature but still run heavy. Or I'd say run favored. Let's <laughs> call it run favored. Um, and I think we're able to take more advantage of the intermediate passing game with Hendon Hooker in the game. That's going to allow us to sustain more drives and not have to essentially run the ball down the field in order to sustain sustain a drive. So I'm going to go 38-31. All right. A little tighter for you. Yep. And the line right now for the game, just for our betting audience out there, because I know some of the folks that listen, I'm sure, are degenerates. Just That's just the way it is. Um, that line moved in the last hour, Brian. That yeah. line's at seven and a half. As of 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time tonight, it is at four and a half. So the money continuously comes in on the Hokies for this game. Um, be interested to see where it is by game time Saturday. Which, Brian, you have to watch a lot of that first half. I will be coaching my son's <laughs> Had a conversation with the head man today. Like, he put it on right during this game. Like, for real? He's just kind of smiling. It's like, come on, man. You're killing me here. Move it. Move it. <laughs> Work around like, my hokey schedule. Well, at first I was like, well, it's going to rain. Hell, yeah. I don't have to do it at all. I can just sit here in the rain and – Probably watch Carolina fans cry even more. All right, let's let's flip it here. So go ahead and put this up. Enter Brian's number in here so we can keep it. All right, Brian. Dude, back-to-back weeks, you are crushing. If people are playing Brian's picks, <laughs> you would have a lot of money in your pocket. Six and one last week. Hey. I unfortunately had my first losing week at three and four. We are both still over 500. Brian now, though, is 16 and eight. So, you know, 65% winner. I unfortunately am not doing that good at 13 and 11. You'd have bet all my games. I'd still you want a little money, but not as much as Mr. Siegler here. But we're going to pick the ACC games. We've got a couple out of conferences against the spread. And unless these lines have changed significantly in the last little while here, I think we're all good. So let's fire it up, Brian. Let's start tomorrow night. Probably a game I will not be watching. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. But Georgia Tech, Louisville. Louisville is the road favorite. Langen, four and a half. What's your feeling on this one? All right, GT's fucked me twice, so Louisville. <laughs> this is strictly a principle. You don't. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to figure out why this line isn't bigger. Yeah, um, that's what I thought too. I know 
you know, the Louisville quarterback um, was hurt last week, but he got off the field. And to my knowledge, he is there. But I even still think with the backup quarterback, they could beat GT by more than four and a half. So you give me Louisville as well. Um, no prediction on the score, just by more than four and a half points. All right. All right. So Saturday at noon, along with the Hokies kicking off here in the Commonwealth, NC State, Virginia. UVA is laying seven and a half points. Um, coming off the loss in State State with the big win at Pitt, Brian, I, I'm gonna take this one and um, I, I'm gonna, you know, I, I picked against them last week and I and it burned me because personally, when you see the white cornerback on the field in the middle part of the third quarter, a team is essentially saying, you're not going to beat us. We will play our backups and our third stringers and our walk-ons. But I think NC State's going to carry some momentum in. I think Leary is the better of the two quarterbacks. We didn't have to see him because, you know, the other guy had a very good game. So give me NC State. Give me seven in the hook. Okay. Not so fast. Okay. Not so fast, my friend. <sighs> Are you double back? Man, I'm, I'm trying to decide. I was, I'm, I'm right on the, the cusp here because I think, I think it's going to be potentially a down to the wire game. I, I think you're right about Leary being the better of the two. I think he gives them a little bit more balance, even if he's not necessarily slinging the ball around. Uh, like uh, some of the other quarterbacks of the ACC. But I've seen enough consistency with UVA where I'm kind of leaning in their direction. Uh-huh. Um, I'll take NC State. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck UVA. <laughs> On the other hand, through them. All right, Ron. Um, let's go up to the Carrier Dome. Syracuse. Duke, Duke is a road favorite at 0-4 or 2.5 points. I listened to a podcast today, the Bear and Stanford, Steve. The last time they were a road favorite. You ready to go back this far, man? Let's do it. 1996. So we were both in middle school. <laughs> wow. They were they were 0-5 like against Wake, who was 1-4. Um, Jim Caldwell was the head coach of Wake Forest, and they were like a two and a half point favorite or three and a half point favorite. So, Brian, who are you taking in this wonderful game against one and three versus zero oh and four? All right, so I've got a little more data on this one than probably really any of the others we've looked at to this <laughs> day. Um, so I'm going to keep going with with the idea that Georgia Tech sucks, and I'm going to say Duke's going to cover. I'm with you on that. I think Duke has finally got their bearings straight. Um, you know, last week I think they played a very good game um, against us, forced some turnover. I think Duke might have figured out what not to do as far as turning the ball over. I'm with you. Take Duke. They're going to get their first win outright, so they're going to easily cover this. All righty. Next up, Brian, is BC Pitt. Up in Chestnut Hill. This one has got me back and forth because I don't think Kenny Pickett is a good quarterback. We've discussed that numerous <laughs> times. 
But BC cannot run the damn ball whatsoever. I, it's, oh my God, it's such a, I, I can't do it. I, I think six is still too much for this. Wow. This got <laughs> They have. Hey, 13, 14 points for a few weeks on Pitt and looks like they lost their shirts. So they're like, screw this. Give it six. I don't think six is enough. I think Pitt will win this game. I think this will be an ugly, similar to the Carolina-BC game. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 24-21, BC covers. Pitt probably wins this game, though. Yeah, I think Pitt wins. Um, (sighs) I think Pitt wins by seven. So I'm going to pick Pitt to cover. It's going to cover. I hate to do it. You, you hate to see it. I, I hate to do it, but at, at the same time, I, I, I said it before. I said I don't think Pitt's going to beat any team by two touchdowns. Um, I think they can beat a team by one touchdown. <laughs> they can beat a team by one touchdown. I just hope you don't get screwed. Um, I don't know if you watch SVP, like the bad beat of the week. Yeah. You, you see the segment? Yeah. <laughs> Carolina line closed at nine and a half. They made a bet on it and cut Cliff's last second field goal for really no reason. Yeah, cut it. Cut had some uh, some skin in that one, I think. <laughs> What'd you get? I got it at nine and a half. Kick the field goal. <laughs> yeah. Or he might. Somebody might have told him that on the sideline. He was just like, we wanted to fuck with people. Yeah. <laughs> Nah, late better. Let's just He's like, we've got a field goal range. Hey, what was the line this week? Nine and a half. All right, fuck it. We're kicking. <laughs> I don't get the ball back. I don't care. We're not going to win this game anyway. <laughs> All right, Brian. Um, let's go to Saturday night, ACC. FSU, Notre Dame. FSU, the dumpster fire that there is. Notre Dame is laying 21 points. What, what do you think, Brian? That is a lot of points to lay. That's a lot of points to lay. Um, no, no. You know, if if we weren't, if they weren't starting a new quarterback, I would probably take Notre Dame. But with the new quarterback, I think there's enough potential there where you might see a little bit more life in the in the Seminoles this week. So I'm going to take FSU in the points. Yeah, I'm with you. The new quarterback, getting Norvell back. Um, I think FSU is going to cover. I, I, don't, I don't think FSU is going to be com- – I'm not going to say competitive. They're probably going to fight. Uh, that defense is – the defensive line is good. The rest of the defense looks terrible. Um, but I think they do put some points up with the new quarterback there. So uh, give, me the, give me the 21. They probably lose somewhere between 17 and 20. So it might be a sweat late night. But it is what it is. All right, Brian. Let's go to the Texas State Fair. Oh, yeah. The Red River Shootout. It is not the Red River Rivalry to anyone who grew up before, like, 2010. It is the Red River Shootout. It is at the Texas State Fair. It is in the Cotton Bowl. And, Brian, as I'm sitting here today and I see that this line is Oklahoma laying two and a half. Okay. What you got? This is like a legal limit bet because Texas is atrocious on defense. Oklahoma is bad, 
They're not atrocious. Texas has given up damn near 50 points a game, and their back end is just – it's awful. There's there's talented kids there metric-wise, but they, they, they Tommy Herman, they, they don't know how to coach them. So I think Oklahoma's not only going to win. I think Oklahoma's going to blow their doors off. Okay. Um, I don't know what the over-under is, but my assumption is take the uh, over. Yes. Uh, let's see. Hammer the over. It's 73. So I'd still take – yeah, I'd still hammer the over. Still <laughs> over. I, think, I think it was 70 earlier in the week, and people were just buying like – It's going to be it's gonna be 40-something to at least uh, upper 30-something is in my bet. So um, I think you're good taking the over there. Um, I'm actually with you. I think this is Rattler Revenge here. Um, I think we're going to see a, a much more polished uh, game from him than we saw last week, and I think they're going to just be able to light it up against that bad Texas defense, man. All right. So we are agreeing that Oklahoma is going to blow the doors off. All cover, right. cover, cover. <laughs> this is a line that's went down – in the last couple of days, down between the hedges, I do believe on Saturday afternoon on a on SEC on CBS, Tennessee, Georgia, Georgia laying twelve and a half. Both are coming off wins. Georgia, you know, basically Python and Auburn and what looked like a no offense and. Uh, Tennessee put a pretty big beat down on Mizzou last week, 35-12. So, Brian, what are you feeling for this game? Ugga looked like a completely different team with the new trigger man. <laughs> That's in Bennett the third. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to – give me Ugga to cover. Woo! That is a ton of points to lay. Also, and fuck Tennessee. Fuck Tennessee. <laughs> All right. Well, I got to fight you on this one, man, because. Okay. Not so fast, eh? Not so fast. Little, little, little pick fight here. I think Tennessee's better. I think Tennessee, I think the offensive line at Auburn is not of the caliber of Tennessee's offensive line. I also think Jeremy Pruitt isn't going to try to sling it down the yard and try to do crazy stuff. I think he's going to keep it very basic for Guarantano. I think Georgia's going to win, but I think Pruitt's job and his goal is going to be, we're going to make this an old school SEC game. We're playing to 21. And I think that Tennessee is going to get enough points, probably not pretty to cover. I think Georgia wins. I think Tennessee covers. I think this is going to be somewhere like a 20, 14-2013 game. Um, it's going to be ugly. It's one of those 330s that you have to love college. You have to love football to enjoy because it's going to be some good defensive playing. And, I mean, me and you, we love football. So some people would say, how are you watching a game that is like 13-6? And it's like, watch the defense. Watch these defenses eat these offensive alive. Yep. That's how. And sometimes you can say this, those are some of the most entertaining games. It's just those absolute rock fights where it's just like 
people are getting hit hard every play, and it's awesome to see that. <sighs> All right, Brian. I like it. Last game of the week. I will lead with this one, Miami-Clemson. Clemson lane 14. Now, people are going to say Clemson's a big dog in the ACC. Miami's on the come up, and it's absolutely true. Have you seen Clemson play? They, they're, 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 like, calling the dogs off, and they're, you know, they're not they're not playing as well. They, they turn, they're not going to turn it off this week. Because anytime Clemson gets a team in front of them, that they feel could threaten them. That is when they turn the afterburners on and just blow. I think it'll be a competitive game, but I do think Clemson will pull away late and late enough to cover that 14. I think this game is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 45, 28 with Clemson scoring a couple late touchdowns to get that cover okay. um, as they start making the tackles more and more. Um, and Clemson can't burn me two weeks in a row, right? Even though against the spread, they're terrible. But I feel like I should go try to find, like, UVA was ranked going into the ACC championship game. The line was minus 30. That's a lot of points. Clemson was like, oh, you're ranked, huh? Let me squish it. <laughs> you, think, man? you know, I, I think it's going to be a similar type description of the game as you just described there. But I think – they're not going to quite cover that 14. I think it's going to be like a 10 to 12 point spread in there. So okay. I'll take Miami in the points, but I still think it's it's not going to be a down to the wire situation. I think it's going to be a arm's length at the end situation. <clears throat> One thing has changed in collegiate football since we've got on here. Um, Alabama Ole Miss, which I believe was supposed to be an early kick on Saturday, um, has been actually moved, Brian. That game is now going to be a 7.30 kick. I believe it was supposed to be a high noon kick. So, um, you know, clearly with the hurricane coming through, the Missouri LSU game was already postponed. So there is one big change. But, Steve, what you smoking this weekend for these games? You know what, buddy? Originally, I was planning a trip to my mom's, but oh. that's actually kind of been backed off. So I'm going to go with some queso. I've got a couple uh, packs of chorizo in the uh, in the freezer there. Mix them up with some cheese. Let, let, let's let's get it smoking, and uh, we'll be dipping away. Unfortunately, I didn't have any uh, anything else planned, so I, m- I might end up picking up something at the store, but that's all I got on the docket right now. Very nice. You should go to the store, find you some nice brisket, and make you some uh, tacos to go along with that yummy queso, man. Yes, sir. That sounds delicious, dude. All right. Anything else breaking, Brian, that you see as you look at the bottom line of these games? And uh, Nothing right now. This uh, this Bears-Bucks uh, is coming down to the wire, dude. Yes, it is. 1917. I'd love a touchdown to Allen Robinson right now to finish this game off. I don't know if I'm going to get it, although he's got a uh, very nice. He's down. I don't know what the issue is. Okay. Oops. Got distracted by the game there, folks. Live podcasting is what it does. <laughs> we'll not be taken out in the edit. All no, right, sir. That is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you, as always, for listening. And let's go. Okies. Okay.